Criticism can crush your spirit. I'll never forget a time when I felt completely crushed by criticism. I had just finished Dallas Seminary and I'd accepted my first pastoral position at Subiaco Church. And one of my, work, one of my roles that Graham had given me at the church was to revitalize our evening service. Our evening service had become very bland and it had started to decline. And so Graham had given me the task of forming a team of people to sort of bring new life to the service. And so I formed a team of people. We started to pray and started to implement changes in that service. Well, one of two of the people who were on this team were, were an older couple, a husband and a wife. And they had had a son who had been attending church But recently he had dropped off and they were hoping that by making certain changes it would lure him back to the church. Well over the next few months, instead of the church increasing in size, it actually started to shrink. And I'll never forget sitting in my office when the phone went. And I picked up the phone and it was this older gentleman. And he was very upset, he was very angry, he was very frustrated And his anger and frustration spilled all over me. He told me that the reason that the evening service had shrunk was because of me. And I was the worst thing that had ever happened to Subiaco Church. The worst thing that had ever happened. I would have thought the devil might have been worse than me, but anyways. And he said a number of other things to me, which I can't remember. But I do remember this, hanging up the phone and just bursting out in tears. And having to go home because I couldn't stop thinking about what he had said. Criticism had crushed me. Now I wonder if you have ever had an experience like that. Whether your heart has been cut like a knife by someone's criticism. I wonder if you have ever felt crushed by criticism. Well you probably don't have a heartbeat if you've never had that. Because nearly everyone who's here today has felt the sting of criticism on their soul. So how should we respond to criticism? How should we respond to the criticism that will eventually and inevitably come our way? How do we handle criticism? Well, that's what we're going to deal with in 1 Samuel chapter 8 today. So if you haven't got your Bible open to 1 Samuel chapter 8, get it open. Now, up to this point in the story, Samuel has been a, a young boy who was offered by his mother to the Lord, and she, he let, she left him at the temple in Shiloh to be raised by Eli. And we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that the Lord called Samuel to be a prophet. And then last week we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 4 that still everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes and they suffered a great defeat at the hands of the Philistines. And they thought to themselves, you know what we need to do? We need to follow the pattern of the past. So they went and got the ark and they put the ark in front of their armies and they thought that following the pattern would lead to victory. But it led to an even greater defeat in Israel. And the ark was taken into captivity. And Ichabod was written over Israel. The glory, the manifest presence of God had departed from Israel. 
And it, and it was like this for 20 years in Israel. But we saw last week in 1 Samuel chapter 7 that the hearts of the people returned to the Lord and Samuel led this great revival in Israel where the people put away the Asheroth poles and they put away idols and they returned to the Lord. And at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 7, we read that all the days of Samuel, the hand of the Lord was with him and the Philistines were not a problem and neither was the Amorites. Now we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and this is now 20 years on from that and Samuel now is an old man, he's in his late 60s, his early 70s and the elders of Israel come to Samuel again and they level at him some pretty stinging criticisms but from Samuel's response to those criticisms we're going to see three things. We're going to see firstly the truth about criticism, secondly we're going to see our source of comfort when we are criticised. And finally, we're going to see how we should respond to our critics. So we're going to see the truth about criticism. We're going to see our source of comfort when we're criticised. And then we're going to see how we should respond to our critics. So first, let's look at the truth about criticism. Let's examine the criticism that the elders of Israel levelled at Samuel. Look down in verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 8. We read this. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramnah. Now that was his hometown, so they came to his home. And they said to him, Behold, you are old. You know, whenever someone says to you, You're old, you're over the hill, it's not a compliment, is it? Usually, it's a criticism. Now, the other day, I was playing tennis with Emma. We were at her tennis, and, uh, you know, there was a, uh, just some time in between matches, and so I asked this little boy if I could borrow his tennis racket so I could have a bit of a hit with Emma. And so we were having a bit of a hit. Then I overheard the boy say to his mother on the sideline, Mum, can you get that old man to give me back my tennis racket? And I thought to myself, Old? You're calling me Old? So right here, I think what we see is the elders are coming to Samuel and they're saying, you're over the hill. You no longer have the capacity to be the spiritual leader in Israel. Now, I don't know what it's like for you men, but I do know for myself, when people question my competence, that really bugs me, that really stings. But I think the second criticism that these elders made towards Samuel would have been even more hurtful. Look down in verse 5. They say, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. This was a very personal criticism. This was a personal criticism labelled at his family. You know, it's very, very hurtful when people, you know, level criticisms at your family, even though they may, it may be true, and it was true. I mean, we read about Samuel's sons in verses 1 to 3. He had two sons that he had made judges in Israel. The first son was Joel. The second son was Abijah. And we read in verse 3 there that his sons did not walk in his ways, but they turned aside after gain and they took bribes and they perverted justice. And we're thinking to ourselves, oh no, history is repeating itself. I mean, do you remember in chapter 2, Eli, the priest, he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were wicked men who did not know the Lord. And so you're thinking to yourself, oh no, Samuel is repeating the same mistakes. But I think it's pretty clear from the text 
that it wasn't Samuel who had failed his boys, but rather it was his boys who had failed Samuel. So you notice in verse 3 it says, His sons did not walk in his ways. And the elders of Israel said the same thing. They said, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, I think this can be a source of great comfort for some people here today. Because as I look out upon you, I know that there may be some people here and you tried your best to raise your kids in a godly home. And yet, when they have become adults, they have made choices that you're, you know, that are, Choices that aren't godly. And it's a source of great pain for you. And I guess every time we talk about parenting here at Oakton, you probably want to go off and hide in the corner. or probably think, man, I wish I hadn't come today. But I think it's important to note that God does not hold you responsible for the choices of your adult children. That's their choices. You know, and if a godly man like Samuel could have children who stray from the Lord, then it could happen to any of us. Our adult children will make their own choices in life. But still, it would have been a source of great pain for Samuel, as they mentioned that about his sons. So they questioned his capacity, and they questioned and they criticized his family. But look at the third criticism they said to him. They said, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They were basically rejecting him as their spiritual leader. But do you know what? I find verse 6 absolutely amazing. I mean, look down in verse 6. Look at what it says. It says, but... The thing displeased Samuel, in other words, that word there, displeased, literally means in Hebrew, the thing that was evil in his eyes was when they said, give us a king to judge us. It wasn't the fact that they said, you're old, that displeased him, and it wasn't what they had said about his sons that displeased him, but what displeased him was when they said, give us a king to judge us. You see, here's the truth about criticism. Criticism surfaces the state of your heart. And when Samuel was criticized, what surfaced in his heart was a heart that was set on God and his purposes. You see, he knew that Israel's request for a king to be like the nations meant that the nation was starting to drift away from God again spiritually. You see, the thing that was supposed to be unique about Israel as a nation was that they had no king. They had no king but Yahweh. And and their unity as a nation was supposed to be around their worship at the tabernacle and the fact that they all lived out the law of God. They were supposed to trust Yahweh, not a king, not his army, not his chariots, but they were supposed to trust the Lord that he would fight for them and protect them. And so in asking for a king, this displeased him. This was exceedingly evil in his eyes because it signified that the hearts of the people of Israel were starting to drift away from God. They were no longer looking to the Lord for security and protection. And, and Samuel was an old man. And he had lived through that period where everyone had done what is right in his own eyes And he had also lived through that time where there had been a great revival in Israel. But now he was seeing a spiritual drift occurring and this grieved him. 
do you know what? As a spiritual leader, what I want to grieve me is not what you say about me personally. What I want for me to be grieved about is the spiritual condition of your hearts. It's about the glory of God and about the apathy that I see. I don't want to be grieved about what you might say about me. Unfortunately, I am often. But I want a heart that's set on the glory of God and the purposes of God. And criticism, the truth about criticism, is that criticism surfaces the state of your heart. So the last time when you were criticized, what surfaced in your heart? What came out? Defensiveness? Despondency? I was once at this retreat for pastors. I used to be a pastor in the Churches of Christ. And I was at this particular retreat for pastors and and we were, it was up in the mountains and we were having all these different sessions. And um, in this one particular session that we were having, we were brainstorming all these different ideas. And someone was talking and, you know, I had something burning within me that I wanted to share. And so I just cut them off and just shared it. Now, you couldn't imagine me doing that, could you? <laughs> but I just cut them off and just shared what I had to share. And before I had finished, another pastor who was sitting beside me said this. He said, Timon, do you realize what you're doing? You always do that. And then he sought to berate me and belittle me and put me in my place. And I've never experienced anything really like this before. I felt so small. And I just sort of mumbled out, oh, I'm sorry. But internally, there were some things that were surfacing in my heart. I was going through my options. Option number one, I should get up and smash this guy in the face. And I thought, well, I'm a pastor, and he's a pretty big guy. That's a bad option. <laughs> option number two, I should tell him off. Now, I'm pretty good with words, but you know, what would that look like in front of all the other pastors? Option number three, I should just walk out of there and just, just leave. Well, I didn't end up doing anything. I just sat there. But do you know what? During that whole time, it didn't surface in my heart at all what I had done to cut someone else off and how that person might feel. And I never even thought about this other pastor and what he was feeling. What surfaced in my heart was just a defensiveness towards myself. You see, the, the truth about criticism is criticism will surface the state of your heart. And as I've reflected upon that, I've realized that what it surfaced in my heart was this approval idol, this need to be approved, this need to be liked, this need to be loved. And this guy had berated me in front of all these people and so... I could not be liked and I could not be loved. You see, criticism can be your greatest friend because it can examine what your heart is really set upon. Now, of course, you know, we can receive criticism more easily if we know the person who's criticizing us. You know, when Tegan, you know, gives me some feedback, I usually take it because her feedback is very valuable and I know her. 
And obviously the manner in which people criticise us is important. If they get beside us and they speak to us like a brother and speak to us in love, then we can often receive the criticism really well. But I want you to know that even if the criticism is completely unfounded, it still will surface the state of your heart. And Samuel loved the Lord. And what his heart was set on was the glory of God and the purposes of God. So when he heard that they wanted a king to be like the nations, he knew what was happening underneath the waterline, that these people were drifting away from the Lord. So where can we find comfort when we're being criticized? Where can we find comfort in the midst of criticism? Well, let's look now at the source of comfort. Look down in verse 6 again. It says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The first place you should go when you are criticized is you should take your heart to the Lord and talk to him about it. You know, one of the things that Pastor Brian says is that we need to go to the throne before we go to the phone. We need to go and talk to God before we start talking to everyone else about the way people criticize us. But look in verse 7, what the Lord also said to Samuel. He said, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now, let me tell you something about people in ministry. If you come up to people in ministry, whether people in full-time ministry or people serving in a various ministry of the church, and you say something like this, I don't want you to take it personal, but your preaching stinks. Or I don't want you to take it personal, but you just can't work with children. Or I don't want you to take it personal, but you're a hopeless real-life group leader. Just because you say, I don't want you to take it personally, does not mean they won't take it personally. In fact, whenever anyone says to me, now I don't want you to take this personal, I usually grip down into my seat and get ready for a personal attack. You see, one of the biggest issues when it comes to criticism is rejection. Is you feel this sense that, that they're rejecting you. But what the Lord here says to Samuel is something fascinating. He says, Samuel, I want you to realize that in their request for a king, which for Samuel was them saying to him, we don't want you to be our spiritual leader anymore. In their request for a king, it wasn't about Samuel. Rather, it was about the state of their hearts. He was saying, they're actually rejecting me. You see, and it's a great comfort to know that if you're doing the will of God and if you're serving him and you come under criticism and rejection because of that, that it's not really about you. It can often be about that person and the state of their heart before God. You know, I look out upon you and I think there might be people here today and you have family who now that you've become a Christian can't understand you and they criticize you and they put you down because you're a Christian. Well, let me tell you, they're not rejecting you. They're actually rejecting Jesus and it's about the state of their heart before him. When I was a youth pastor in Helensvale and I took over this youth ministry. And when I took over the youth ministry, 
It was like many youth ministries. It was just, you know, about child minding, looking after these key kids and keeping them happy and giving them lots of cordial. And um, when I took over the youth group, I thought, no, that's no good. What we need to make the youth group about is we need to make it about Jesus. And so we still kept some fun things, but we, we added Bible study and we added worship and we added evangelism and got the kids being discipled so that they would, would invite their friends and evangelize their friends. And after a few months, uh, some of the senior youth in the group came up to me and they had a whole heap of criticisms. They said, you know, you've changed it and now this and now this and it's no longer fun and blah, 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 blah. And they went through a whole list of things. And I just looked them directly in the eyes and I said, thank you. Thanks for your feedback. You know, you call criticism feedback. That makes it nicer. Thank you. Thank you for your feedback. But I said, God has spoken to us about the direction of our youth group. It's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about serving him. That's what we're going to be about. And you may not like it, but that's what this youth group's about. And so they went off and the state of their hearts was revealed. Over the next few months, they really, they really turned from the Lord and, and they stopped coming to youth group and stopped coming to church. And this really grieved me because I was their youth pastor and I loved them. But we don't reach the world by becoming like the world. That's not how it works. And so I just loved them and prayed for them. And one night they came back. It was a Friday night and I'll never forget it. I can't remember what I was preaching on, but there was a, a challenging night about living wholeheartedly for Jesus. And these two year 12s who had turned against me a few months earlier came down the front and surrendered their lives to the Lord and gave themselves back to him. And they said to me, they turned to me and they thanked me and they said, thank you so much for not giving in to what we had said because we were wrong. Our hearts were in the wrong place. You see, part of the comfort that we can have is if we are serving the Lord, if we're in his will and people criticize us and reject us, then it's not us it's not about us. It's really about the state of their hearts before the Lord. Notice what else the Lord says to Samuel in verse 8. He says, but they have rejected me from being a king over them. And then in verse 8, he says, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. You see, God is basically saying, I know exactly how you feel, Samuel. I know exactly how you feel. Because these people have been rejecting me from the very first day that I redeemed them out of Israel. They started to worship and serve other gods. And, and they have been rejecting me. And I know how it feels, Samuel. You see, the thing about us as Christians is we serve one who was the most rejected, the most despised, the most criticized in his lifetime. All the way throughout Jesus' life, he was criticized and rejected. Right at the very beginning of his ministry, they said things like, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the place where Jesus grew up. They said, isn't that the carpenter's son? When he was being crucified on the cross, they said he saved others. Why can't he come down and save himself? You see, we serve one who knows what it's like 
to be rejected and despised. We serve a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief and who knows what it's like to suffer. Suffer rejection in ministry. You know, um, Philippians 3, I've, I've pondered on this passage many times. It's one of my... It's one of my favourite passages of Scripture. Do you have a favourite passage of Scripture? Philippians 3 is one of my favourite passages of Scripture because Paul talks about how he wants to know Christ, how he considers all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ. I want that to be said of me. I want to consider everything a loss so that I can know Jesus. But some of the things that he says in there, he talks in there about knowing the power of his resurrection. Who here wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection? Isn't that fantastic? You want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? You know what Paul also says? He says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, being like him in his death. See, Where do we find comfort in the midst of criticism? Here's my point. We find comfort in criticism through our communion with God. We go to God in prayer when we're being criticized and share with him our heart. We also realize that that often people are not criticizing and rejecting us. They're really, it's about the state of their heart before God. But we also realize that we serve one who is acquainted with suffering and acquainted with rejection and acquainted with criticism. And actually, when you think about your communion with God, this is, I read this in Spurgeon and it was, do you know Spurgeon says some things that are just so deep. Man, he goes really deep down, talking about our fellowship with God, what our fellowship with God is around says our fellowship with God is that we share the same love with God. Have you ever thought about that? God the Father loves the Son. Do you love Jesus? Then you have the same love that God the Father has. We share the same purpose. God the Father's purpose is to make much of his Son. What's our purpose? To make much of Jesus. But we also share this same common thing with Jesus. Is just as Jesus suffered for the will of God, we should be all willing to embrace suffering for God's will. That's part of our communion with God. And we serve a saviour who knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to be criticized. It should be a great source of comfort for us. So we have seen today the truth about criticism. Criticism will surface the state of your heart. And we've seen that our source of comfort in criticism, that our source of comfort in criticism is our communion with God. Well, now let's look at how we should respond to critics Look down in verse 9 at how the Lord told Samuel to respond to his critics. The Lord said, Now then, obey their voice. 
Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And in verses 11 to 18, we'll see what it's going to cost Israel if they're going to have a king. And the word that's repeated over and over and over again in those verses is the word take. Now, I didn't say this in the first, in the first um, service, but I want to say this now, okay? What we see in this chapter is a classic example of the permissive will of God. Is It wasn't in God's original perfect plan for Israel to have a king. He was going to be their king. But when they asked for it, God permitted it. He allowed them to have a king. But it would cost them. It would cost them. And right down at the end in verse 18, it says, In that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And here's what I want to say, is God gives you freedom to make choices in your life, and he will permit you to have certain things. But make no mistake, you will pay for those things. You will pay if you don't follow the will of God, as he outlines it in Scripture. Man, is that challenging? Is that challenging? I don't want to have to pay the cost for that disobedience really, you know, is charging. But the great thing about Samuel, I think, that we see in these verses is... In his response to his critics, he doesn't respond by saying, I'm not old, I'm okay, I can keep going. He doesn't respond by saying, I know my sons didn't work out as judges, but we could go and seek the Lord and find other judges for you. No, he just responds by obeying what God told him to do. And you see, here's how we should respond to our critics we shouldn't respond by being defensive. You know, when I'm criticised, you know what I do? I, I start to formulate a defensive plan in my, my mind. If this person says this, then I'll say this, and I'll say this, and I say this, and I say this. You know, so we shouldn't respond by being defensive. And we shouldn't respond by just trying to satisfy our critics, by thinking, if I give up this amount of ground, then they'll be happy with me. Now, we should respond to our critics by obeying God, by obeying him in the way that he is leading us. And sometimes he may lead us to say nothing. Sometimes he may lead us to learn things from our critics. Sometimes he will lead us to respond to our critics. But we need to follow him in that. Uh, a few years ago, I read this book. Um, it was the life story of Bill Bright. It was called Amazing Faith. Bill Bright was this, this amazing leader in America who started this ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. You may have heard about it. It's a ministry to university students and it's all around the world. And in this particular episode in his life, um, he, he was ringing some of his core leaders in different regions because there was this issue that they were having to, to deal with. And as he rang up these various leaders, they all seemed to be located at the same place. And it was really weird. He'd ring them up. And they're all at the same location. And so his offsider said to him, what does this mean, Bill? And he said, well, I guess we'll find out in a few weeks. 
And sure enough, in a few weeks, all of the core leaders came to Bill and they said, you know, we don't think you're leading Campus Crusade in the right way. And uh, we think that you need to actually go off in a new direction. The direction of discipleship and evangelism is no good. You need to take us in a new direction. And Bill Bright responded by saying, well, if, um, you know, if you want to do that and if you want to go that way, then that's fine. But me and Vinette, we started this ministry and God gave us a vision and if we start again with nothing, we'll begin with nothing. He was willing to trust God and respond to the criticism with obedience. And his offsider said that as soon as that meeting finished, he just went back to his work and just and it, as if nothing had happened. He had this peace of God in his life. See, how should we respond to critics? We shouldn't respond by becoming defensive or seeking to satisfy our critics, but rather we should respond by obeying God in the way that he's leading us. So how do you handle criticism? Well, we've seen today the truth about criticism, that criticism surfaces the state of our hearts. And we've seen our source of comfort in criticism, that we find our comfort in our communion with God. And we've seen the way to respond to critics is by obeying God in the way that he is leading us. You know, I'd like to say that that man that I told you about at the beginning and his wife, that that all worked out really rosy and we became best friends. But that's not how it worked out. They ended up leaving the church and blaming me for what had happened. And that's fine. But I tell you something. That incident and the other incident with the pastor at the retreat has taught me more about the state of my heart than anything else. It surfaced in my life what needed to change. And I think if you allow criticism to surface the state of your heart, You find comfort in your communion with God and you respond with obedience to your critics. I think you'll find the same. Let's come to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And Father, I know that you, you can speak to people through this passage in ways that I haven't even mentioned. And Father, I would be praying for us all right now, Father, that you would be speaking to us so that we can change and become like your son. Father, we thank you for the critics that come our way. And for the way that you use that to shape us and to refine us, to become more like your son, the Lord Jesus. Who on the cross, when he was being rejected and criticized, and when he was being tortured for us, 
he responded by doing the will of God and by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, I pray that you will change all of our hearts to be like the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up together. Let's worship the Lord this morning. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. Again, if you would like any information about the life at OBC, please go to our website at www.oaktonbaptist.org.au.